you are creating the demand by paying the ransom. You're not an IT guy, you're an insurance guy who happens to do IT. I gotta have my hands in everything. Welcome to the Hash Time Show, your weekly source for cyber news and info. This is episode number 20. Today's show features a CISO sit-down with Jeff and Chris. They discuss remote work burnout, InfoSec news, and dealing with ransomware. Check us out online at HashTimeShow.com. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Hashtime Show, your weekly source, now again, for cybersecurity news and info. Joining me today is Jeff Marshall, and I'm your host, Chris Vincent. We're missing one of our key members today, Jeff. We're missing Dave Norland. He's on vacation sure. today. He's on vacation today, and we are on yet another Zoom meeting. Yeah. <laughs> You're well. Thanks for joining my Zoom, my, my 15th <laughs> Zoom meeting for the day. They, they've Zoom's added particip- uh, participant codes now that are like eight digits because there's so many people using Zoom. It's crazy. Bananas. All right, guys, thanks for joining today. We're on episode number 20. And if you see me on video looking up, I have a monitor up there so I can look at my show notes. So if I keep looking up, that's why. I know um, I keep looking down at mine. So look down at up. Yeah. Um, we're, real high, we're real high production here at the Hash Time Show. <laughs> All right, Jeff, thanks for joining me. Since Dave is out today, I wanted to use this opportunity to kind of have a, I'm going to call it my first segment. Well, it's getting to know you. But I want to kind of frame this up as the CISO sit down. And I want to take this opportunity just to ask you some one-on-one questions if you're cool with that. Sure. Sounds good. All right. So first thing I wanted to, I wanted to, well, let me back up. Before I started working in cybersecurity, I didn't even know what a CISO was. You know, I was, became new, a new C-level title for me. And so based on that, I mean, there's CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and the, the lines get blurred quite a bit. You know, what is, what is, what are some of the common misconceptions you see about what a CISO does or does not do? You know, I would say it depends. You've got the the people who think it's just uh, the guy who stops hackers. And then you've got the other side, which is they just tell me no all the time. Um, I think those are, are misconceptions that security is here just to stop you from basically doing anything because they, everything you do is insecure. So I think that's a, a big misconception that I still see in the marketplace and with customers and their organizations. Um, I think it's interesting, like you said, there's there's a lot of blurry lines nowadays. Like it used to be very defined. Hey, if you were a CTO, you were on the development side. If you were a, a CIO, you were more on like business development side, you know, and it, it it's all kind of blurred. I mean, in, in our customer base alone, we've got people who are the C, who have the title CIO and is uh, um, you know, kind of run security and IT, and you've got people who have the CISO title and they've got certain portions of security or all of security and physical security. Um, it, it is very blurry. I mean, I, I, I myself, my, I, I hold the CTO and the CISO title. They're all blurry lines. It doesn't matter to me too much, but, you know, <laughs> it gets confusing at times, especially if you have multiple business cards. Yeah, you know, I think we we start throwing CRO duties and CMO duties on your on your hat too. Yeah, I get I get a little bit of everything, which as a lot of people do. Absolutely, yeah. It's interesting when you see a CISO that also has the physical security side of things. I mean, that typically becomes um, more of an operations function, or 
you know, a faculties guy. And it's, it's fascinating. Does that just happen because of the lack of resources or? No, I think it's, I think there's a, quite a few things there. You know, I mean, look at ADT as a whole, right? We're, we're a physical security company that, are, well, we are owned by a physical security company. We don't do physical security. Um, but, you know, I, I hold the physical security duties for our offices and buildings and data centers and so forth. Um, but, you know, I think more and more physical security is either relating or being part of cybersecurity reason because, I mean, if you look at, the ring doorbell stuff. I mean, ring doorbells have been unhacked. Um, what do a lot of physical pin testers do? They're trying to get into your building through your badge access and things. So the more that that stuff can be monitored by your security teams and correlated with other information and data, and I think more and more it's becoming part of it. I mean, if you're a, a traditional security guy and you're a CISSP, they cover physical security as part of that. Um, so I think there's, there's a natural play. Now, whether you really want to be uh, managing a ton of cameras and, you know, putting pylons in front of your office, stop people from driving into your building and things, you know, that's, yeah, I guess each his own, but. Um, it, isn't it funny? I, I know we're getting off into physical security rabbit hole, but before working for AET, I never even thought about it. It's crazy that you have the pylons and like fire extinguishers are part of physical security in that, in that yeah. realm. That's yeah, fascinating. Okay. Well, enough about that. Um, this is what I wanted to ask you. So you may talk about this quite a bit. You know, as I am really in charge of branding and marketing for Data Shield, um, but you may talk about this too. I see it not just in our conversations, but I see it with competitors and and partners. This this idea of branding the CISO, which kind of brands the organization. You know how important because the, the CISO is your thought leader, right? And especially in security and infosec, what you know, what do you see? You know, how important is that personal branding and for yourself and how does that relate to the organization that you work for and represent? You know, I mean, I guess you can look at it from two aspects. I, I think there's good that comes to branding and bad, right? Like anytime you make yourself, I, I'm still a slight believer in secure, security by obscurity, right? So the more you brand yourself and get yourself out there, the more potentially you are a, ta- a, a target or um, especially, you know, us coming on here and saying some of the things we do or, talking about how we protect things or our philosophies and things can make you a target. But on the, on the flip side of that, I think branding helps knowledge. You know, there's kind of two parts of branding, right? There's what do I do to make myself known as a CISO for me to get more jobs, better jobs, more importance (laughs) in the marketplace. And then there was branding from the collaboration standpoint, right? Like, you know, some of the, there's, and I'm not saying this is good or bad, right? It's just what people do. There are some CISOs who literally on the road all the time at conferences, talking, doing things and sharing knowledge. Now, again, not saying it's good or bad. There's a lot of good that comes out of that, but a lot of it is they're branding themselves, right? So sure. depending on if they work for a corporate organization, that could be a negative for the organization because that could be a risk of them potentially getting recruited or, or leaving the company, right? So I think uh, I think branding's important from a collaboration aspect. I mean, there's a lot of stuff from myself talking at conferences and things that have brought connections that normally wouldn't have been there that have been very good for the security program because you learn things from other people, right? None of us ever know all of security or how to do everything ourselves. So it's it's about building a network of people who could knowledge share and and uh, share information. So really, Absolutely. really work to improve. Absolutely. 
Well, I'm working on it for you, buddy. We're gonna we're gonna help you get more jobs, more money, and we're gonna help the knowledge share of the community. We're gonna do both. Yeah. Go. <laughs> um, well, delivered in duffel bags. Yeah, I, I mean, let me. I want to ask something else. This is more personal. <laughs> duffel bag. This is more personal. You know, when you were, you know, I, I know a little bit about your background. Not everything, and we talked about it before on the show. But like, did the did the when did I want to be the CISO, come on to your career roadmap. How long ago did that become something you wanted to aspire to do? You know, honestly, it came and came and went a little bit, you know, back when I first started getting into security, I said, Hey, you know, originally I wanted to be a CIO. That was the career path I was working towards running um, IT teams and network teams and kind of started morphing into network security. And then eventually I got pulled into security and I, I really enjoy it. I love, I love the things that come from security and what we do. And, and there's a lot of opportunity there, both for knowledge and for, you know, career paths. So I kind of went down the path and I, and I started running a, a dev team. And while I had certain opportunities, you know, I kind of, you know, originally I was CTO of data shield and we had a, another CISO um, who brought me into into Data Shield? And you know, as he left the company, they kind of said, "Hey, do you want do you want this role?" And then just kind of naturally fit. You know, I mean, that's I, I I do kind of hold both roles, and it's mostly because I have our development team, and then I have the entire security organization. Now, I spend probably the majority of my time in our security organization, um, but I still have a development team who's building software and tools. They run like an actual real development team. It's not like a tools team. Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of some of both, but, you know, I think it's just a cur- natural curiosity and things that you enjoy doing. Awesome. You know, that's that's kind of where I went with it. Happened, happened by purpose and on accident at the same time, a little bit of both. Yeah. You know, and, and it's kind of funny because once, once you're in that role, I've, I've had a few people that I've worked with in the past that have reached out and said, Hey, how do I get into that role? And, and I honestly, don't 100% know what to tell them other than, hey, just keep doing what you're doing and keep learning and keep gaining knowledge. You know, it's important to do, you know, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but it's not just technical knowledge, it's business knowledge, right? So right. how do business works? What does your business do? Why is why is it important? Um, you know, I used to work for a, a CIO a number of years ago who um, at an insurance organization, his, his comment always was, you're not an IT guy, you're an insurance guy who happens to do IT, right? So immerse yourself in the business and understand your business inside and out, not just the technical aspects. That was going to be my last question for you. Uh, what would what words of wisdom or tips would you offer to someone who wants to aspire to become a CISO? But you sort of answered it. You know, keep there doing you what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just continually knowledge. I mean, don't don't rabbit hole yourself or don't pigeonhole yourself, and you know, go wide and 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 learn as many different things as you can and you know, shed that knowledge, spread that knowledge, learn not and learn more things. You know, I think it's one interesting thing to me is as you're going down and learning all these things within security, whether, whether it be pen testing or defending things, you know, firewall security, architecture, risk management, there's people who will latch on the one thing and really enjoy doing that one thing. And myself, I got to have my hands in everything, right? So I I really like to understand how things work, how they relate, how they correlate together. And that's, that's kind of what drives you to that CISO level is, is having enough knowledge in every different area, which you'll never stop learning. Sure. 
Well, awesome. Thanks for sitting down with me on the, the first official CISO sit down. We'll hopefully no we can do more in the future. Uh, yeah, let's, okay. jump, let's jump over to segment number two. So this is, I've seen this in the news. This has been a huge topic over the last week, remote work burnout. So I want to bring this up to you and get your feedback. You know, obviously you're managing a big team. I've seen it with my team and my peers. Um, now that we're working remote and not just in our organization, I'm seeing it, you know, in other friends, organizations and colleagues that I've worked with in the past. Yeah, absolutely. People that are real uh, hungry, you know, like you and I are and like other people we know, it's the, the, the shutoff switch can be kind of tough. And now that we're working remote, I, you know, I've seen people that are working on myself, you know, you, you, you get up, you get up in the morning, the first thing you do is go right into the office, start working. And, you know, there's an intermingling now of children running around because school's been canceled. But um, yeah. really, it's like, from when I wake to when I go to sleep, and it's just full all the way through. And, you know, that's, there's a real risk of getting burnt out when you have that level of, of regiment where you're not, you know, without having the get up, go to the office, come home, um, having that break, a natural break in things for, for travel and transport. Um, it's, it's, it's causing, I've seen some major burnout issues of people kind of overworking. What have you seen and what's some of the stuff challenges you're seeing? Yeah, you know, I'll say even across, you know, my, my employees, you know, Dave, David's off today for that exact reason is, you know, he's been working a lot and, you know, kind of said, Hey, look, I need, you know, even though I can't go anywhere, do really anything, I just need a day to myself. And I, I encourage everyone to do that because, you know, you do, you, you're sitting at home, not everyone, but the majority of people are probably putting in more hours than they were in the office because like you said, you don't have to get up and drive to the office and, you know, get up and, you know, you don't want to get up and walk out and leave. Most people are getting up, walking their kitchen, walking back. So I know myself, I've probably put in way more hours than I should have in the last few weeks working from home. Um, I've done a full work from home job myself in the past. So, you know, I think a leg up is I've kind of learned what to do and not to do, but even still you, you work a little too much. And, you know, I, I was talking to another employee today. I, I think it's important to, you know, why we're all quarantined, we're stuck in home, our families are stuck in home, you know, everybody's trying to do as little getting out of the house as possible, right? Right. Um, you still got to find little things like, you know, my kids and I are, you know, take the dog for a walk and things like that. You got to get out of the house a little bit, um, carefully, obviously, <laughs> but I, sure. I think it's important to find downtime and to find time to spend with your family and time to do something unrelated hobby-wise, right? Like, uh, I'll be ex perfect example. I, I'm one of those people that constantly learning and constantly trying to do things. So my, my current hobby right now was to learn an, an, a new programming language. And I realized I'm just doing too much work-related type things, even though it's for a hobby, but I have to pick something outside of that. So I'm trying to read different books, trying to find some funnier books and things to read and, you know, trying to try to do some things outside of that. My, my son and I've been building Legos and, you know, you, you got to find some time to take away. Even, even though you sit at home, you can still take a vacation day and, and kind of do it. And, you know, it, it kind of is what it is. And there's a lot of people who have been furloughed or, or laid off. So I'm, I think we're very fortunate to be able to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. A couple of things on that. You, you mentioned the hobbies. It's like, I've been meaning to get back to writing and recording music for the last 16 months, but I've been so busy, but now I'm actually able to do it because there's some little bit of free time. Yes. Uh, and so it's been nice to do some dirt and that's totally unrelated. So it's, 
it's, yeah. I mean, it, it works the mind and the creativity, but it doesn't, it's not related at all. Like in your example, you do something that's not related to security. Um, I think it's, it's funny. I think for you, me, and like, uh, for Jimmy, our president, we're used to working. He's been remote and I've been remote before you've been remote before. So I'm used to you and me emailing back and forth at seven, eight o'clock at night. And he'll, he'll send me messages late for him. He's in, he's in, you know, uh, Louisiana. So when it's, you know, leaving later. Um, but I've seen other people that I, I wouldn't see do this send emails at like, you know, four o'clock in the morning, you know, and stuff like that. And, and so there's a level of, there's a level of people, the remote work is bringing out different things in different people. Uh, I'll be honest, Dave, Dave and I were texting back and forth about uh, an uh, investigation and a, and a project at 1130 last night. So it's, it's things that you, you end up like you're at home, you're, you're getting bored or something. You just, you start working again. So it's, it's something to be cognizant of. Yeah. And I've even found it's, it's fascinating to me to see the people that you would think would work better remote actually struggle with it. Versus yeah. the people that you think would would not do well remote are doing really, really well, doing better because they're less distracted by some of the office stuff. It's really yeah. been fascinating on the sales side and marketing side of things. Um, and then other now we're seeing two people that have asked to want to go remote, seeing them how they're actually enjoying it or struggling with it. It's just, it's the whole thing's very fascinating and depending on how long this thing goes, I'm really interested to see how when we come back just from a data show perspective how is this business going to change? Are we going to be more remote? I mean, you guys have on last week's show, you told me you've seen actually some productivity increases with the remote work. So it's going to be interesting how we adjust the business going forward, not just for us, but for customers and other people out there that are not just security, but in the world as a whole. Yeah, I think definitely it's, you know, there, there's been a, a big portion of, especially in the tech industry that remote work has been kind of a common practice for a long time. But I think you're going to start seeing more traditional businesses kind of move to that direction, at least part-time after this. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, guys, don't get burnt out, you know, nope. uh, but but also definitely don't uh, take this as a vacation. Those of those you out there, if you have a job, you're, you're pretty lucky. I know a lot of people that are, don't have jobs right now. And All right. Going to the kitchen and getting cookies. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm going to be, well, gyms are closed, Jeff. I'm going to be like skinny fat when this thing's over with, man. I mean, I'm drinking beer every night. I'm not working out. Sad, dude. Anyways. <laughs> All right. On to segment number three, the news of the week. Um, so Jeff, you sent me a couple articles and then I have, I have a funny one I wanted to cover with you. Let's okay. jump into headline number one. I'll read the title here. Marriott says new data breach affects 5.2 million guests. Uh, Marriott says guest names, loyalty account information, other personal details have been accessed in the second major data breach to hit the company in less than two years. So this, they leaked passport numbers, unencrypted credit card information. This is a major deal. Tell me a little bit more about this. You know, I, I gotta say from the kind of first one is it's, it's a shame and it sucks, especially from a brand reputation perspective. Um, you know, they, they obviously have some gaps somewhere or some things that are happening. Now, being a big organization like that, they're going to be a target anyway, but there's obviously something going on. You know, it's, it's a shame that happened twice. You know, I myself was a, a big Marriott member. My information's been stolen, you know, so at, now I think it's at the point where it starts to, to change people's view on who they use. You know, I think sometimes a breach happens and people go, well, 
now's the best time to use them because now they're paranoid. But I think in this case, it could be pretty damaging to them for, for having data leaked again. Yeah. And it's, you know, the, something that's funny to me, this is, uh, I have been part of conversations with other, um, businesses. We'll just keep it at that. Not the Marriott, obviously, who was using a security outsourcing organization that had a lot of their, uh, employees in Hong Kong. And it's kind of funny here that the FBI thinks that this was led by a Chinese ministry of security, kind of a Chinese CIA is what it is. It's kind of fascinating. I mean, the whole Chinese connection, we talked about this before. Um, it's interesting, right? I mean, you, you kind of want to have your security people on U.S. soil if possible. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think, you know, more and more organizations are looking for, you know, outsourced firms. And by then people are trying to, you know, for security firms are trying to cut costs and trying to find ways to effectively service their customers. I know there's a few of our competitors that all of their their security people are overseas and you know there's there's benefits to that and there's negatives to that but you know from a national perspective i mean look i mean since the whole covid thing uh, the majority of where we're seeing things from a security perspective of and, and it's common knowledge if you look i mean iran and china both have like ramped up what they're what they're going after and who they're hitting so it's nothing new. I mean, I'm not surprised. We're seeing a lot of increase from a couple of the APT groups in China, um, but it's 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 bad for Marriott, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Marriott. We we'll hope you guys. If you guys need any help? Call us. Well, on a, and on a, on a on a personal note, you know, I mean, the the CEO of Marriott's been like fighting cancer and things. And oh, really? It, I don't know if you saw for, for their COVID message, he put on a, a, a very personal video that he um, recorded for that. I guess the company advised him against and he did anyway. And, you know, it was, it was a very heartfelt message and you're like, yeah, this, you know, this, this is why Marriott's a good brand. And something like this happens and it kind of diminishes that whole thing. It's a shame. Yeah. All right. Well, on to the next one. Uh, headline number two, hack attack takes down dark web host. 7,595 websites confirmed deleted. I'm read the quote here. The most prominent provider of free site hosting on the dark web has been taken down by hackers. Here's what happened and why it matters. The operator of the biggest free host for dark, web, dark websites, Daniel's Hosting, has confirmed that the service has been shut down following a hack attack that deleted all 7,595 site databases. So I have to, I have to embarrassingly admit, I know about the dark web. I, I, I don't know how to get to the dark web. I don't know. I, I know that there's, there's a legal stuff on there, but you have to give me, give me a little background. You got to walk into the shadows. Yeah. Bring me up to speed a little bit on the dark web. How do you get there? You know, there, there's, there's, there's a few different ways, you know, most of it requires either uh, VPN over Tor browser or Tor browser over VPN um, you know, so there's specialty browsers on a few different types of, of networks that allow you to get into these networks. I mean, this, think of it just as if, if I come in our organization and I build a server and I give you access to it, unless you VPN into our company, you can't have access to that. Right. So Got it. it's just a way for them to mask these sites and, and hide them. Now there could be good stuff and bad stuff on the dark web. It, you know, it's, there's different reasons people use it paranoia you know illegal activities um just interest in how it works so there's a lot of different things on the dark web 
Um, but you know, I think it gets the rap of being only illegal, bad, evil stuff because it's called dark web. But um, you know, I, I, there's some positive uses for it as well. It's just most the illegal stuff all happens there. So, so for these guys like this, Daniel's hosting. I mean, is he using like well-known data centers? Does he have a server rack in his house? I mean, does he? What? How, could, how does he have it? It could be a bunch of different things. It could be. It could be that he's you know doing any or all of those, you know, whether it be here or overseas, it's, it's possible. So it depends on where he had it hosted. He obviously had his own GoDaddy type of setup in the dark web and, you know, someone got into it. Now the question is, was it really a hacker? Was it a government organization? Was it a security researcher? Who knows how it got deleted? Um, Overall, it could be a positive thing, but who knows? It's, it's also, you know, there's not a lot of information on what was deleted or why. So, you know, who knows what, that's a lot of sites, but they could have been, you know, I mean, if you look at how many ridiculous one page sites are made on GoDaddy, it could have been, it could have been nothing that was deleted off of there. Right. I mean, it's 70, you know, but roughly 7,600 websites and there's no backups form. Like most of the hosting providers, they give you a nightly, well, not most of them, a lot of them give you a nightly backup, but there was no backups for these. So they're just gone. Wow. When you're on the dark web, you probably don't want backups. Just like, yeah, just like when you use a VPN service, like, you know, Nord or any of those kind of, which we're not sponsored by, but we would accept their money. Any of those kind of services that, you know, you would expect, hey, I'm paying for a privacy VPN. I hope, I hope or, or want to know that they don't keep the logs, right? Um, yeah, it looks like, yeah, you, you, you'd want the whole point of it is right is that you're you're staying anonymous. The this is I guess the second attack too. They had sites taken down in 2018. So why do you think it's a government agency? Let, let's go let's go editorial here for a second. I mean, why would somebody? <laughs> we hack- can only do that because Dave's not on the call. Because yeah, Dave right. is completely anti conspiracy theory. <laughs> I mean, do you think it was government agency? Because why? I feel like the dark webs where a lot of hackers live. Anyways, why would they go after their own ecosystem? Kind of, you know, so that there's a lot of, so if you go back to like the IRC days, right. Um, you know, back in the the nineties and so forth. And if you spent a lot of time in IRC, people get mad at you for saying the wrong thing or, or doing something and they'd take, you know, try to take down the channel, take down the, the IRC server you're on. So it could have been something as silly as that of just rivalry or pissing somebody off or, Maybe maybe the hosting provider itself did something that pissed somebody off, or maybe it was somebody trying to shut down a specific site and got in there and said, "Oh, screw it, I'll just take the rest." I mean, right? It's, it's hard to tell. I mean, we can we can theorize all day, but <laughs> all right, cool. Well, we'll, we'll we won't we'll just report the news as unbiased. <laughs> <laughs> all right, number three is kind of a stupidest thing in cybersecurity, kind of okay. goofbally one. So. Beware of Bill Gates themed crypto Ponzi scam on YouTube. Oh, uh, yeah, I did not see this one, so that's pretty funny. Yeah, so there's a cryptocurrency Ponzi scam targeting thousands of users through multiple hijacked YouTube accounts. And I laughed because they said they used tens of accounts. I usually when you see tens, it's tens of thousands, but it was tens. So, oh, tens of accounts, very tens very of nice. accounts, 20 or 30. Such scams were quite common on Twitter, uh, but back and now growing an issue on YouTube. So, when we saw Jack Dorsey's Twitter account get taken over, and so this, they weren't super clear on exactly what they did, but basically it was a 
send us some crypto money kind of scheme thing here they were uh, using I'm YouTube sure accounts. Probably something like a normal phishing scheme or social engineering scheme. I mean, it's you know that it's funny that they use Bill Gates and instead of something you know you expect. And we've seen a huge uptick, obviously, in things related to the current issue in in the news, right? But using Bill Gates is kind of an interesting one. But those are not anything new. I mean, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but my my you know. My son finds a YouTube video that says, click this link and we'll give you free V-Bucks. And yeah, I mean, there's, those things are everywhere. It's, it's just another click scam, probably. Yeah, it's, that's what it was. It was, they used popular accounts. They did a crypto giveaway scheme. And then they used the Bill Gates. It was, like a, it was a speech from 2019 um, to participate in some kind of giveaway. And they, they kind of manipulated the video, edited it up. So I haven't seen this, but just I, I just laughed when I saw the, the headline. I'm like, I got, we got to, we got to talk about this. You got to, you got to admit, it must be challenging to be that important to where people would utilize you for something like that. He's one of the most fascinating people in all of history. I mean, if you think about what he helped fa- uh, found and develop and grow. Did you watch his uh, Netflix special? I haven't the seen it. Is it good? Yeah, it was really good. Check it out when you get your chance. I will. He's, I mean, he's one of the wealthiest men ever. And he's given more and more to charity than like anybody ever. I mean, I'm probably not saying that right, but just he's like a fascinating character. It'd be really fascinating when we look at him. How we look at him in a hundred years? We look at him like like a Ben Franklin. Like, how is he going to be viewed to people? Our kids, our kids of kids of kids. That's a good question. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. Um, he also started the trend of not leaving money to your your kids too, huh? I mean. Yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty terrible. I'd want my kids to work for it too, but at least at least give them something. <laughs> I think that, you know. I think I just saw something about Daniel Craig doing that too. Although I think he has way less money than Bill Gates. I've I've seen a bunch of celebrities and and tech people say that lately. So I don't know what the statistics are, and this is out of the scope of this podcast. But I've definitely found <laughs> I've definitely found there's there seems to be. If a successful or parents pretty successful, and I'm not, I don't know anybody successful as Bill Gates, but I have some people that have done well. And then I see their kids are, are kind of have issues, you know, like traditionally, occasionally there'll be someone where the parent does really well and the kid does well. But more often than not, when the parent does well, they typically are pretty busy and they are guilty for being busy. And they spend, I found myself doing this this last couple of years, getting busy. And then every time I go out, I, I feel bad because I don't see my daughter as much and we buy stuff every time we go to the store and then now it's become a habit where she will throw a fit if, if she wants to buy something every time we go to the store i mean we're at home depot and she wants to get something you know <laughs> so, so she, i bought her a, a pink fan for nine bucks that she broke instantly but uh i'm getting to the point now where it's i created a bad habit right so I, I'm, I'm using my own personal example but i can see this thing with with wealthy people where it's like hey dad i want a lamborghini okay to me, it's nothing because I have billions of dollars. Well, you know, it's funny that you said that because I used to have the same problem. I'd go on a trip and every time I came back from a trip, I'd bring bring my kids something. But now I travel so much that like I can't bring them back. Like, well, first off, what would I bring them back from every single trip that's not junk or ends up being repetitive? And two is then what, what are they doing with all this stuff that you're getting them? It's mostly gar- garbage or momentum or something that they're just not really going to do anything with. Yeah, it becomes meaningless if it's all the time, right? Or they, or they break it instantly. <laughs> That's always my favorite. I'm just basically taking my own money and throwing it out the window is what I see when that happens. But we do it for the kids. Oh, that's hilarious. 
All right, cool. Um, what else we have for the week? Okay, so did you want to get into the ransomware discussion, or are we are we going to wrap? Yeah, it if you want. But we can talk about it. Let's have, let's have a quick talk about. It. I want to don't want to dive super deep in, but I know ransomware still continue to be an issue. There was an op-ed discussion kind of article on theconversation.com, and it caught my eye because it said, "Deal with ransomware the way that the U.S. government deals." Uh, with hostage situations, the way that police, sorry, the way that police deal with hostage situations. And I found that to be kind of fascinating. The the three points I I pulled out of this is, um, you know, they go, here's the risks of negotiating with these guys and paying these guys out on Bitcoin. And that was the, my main takeaway from the article was the, the problem of when you pay it, you may not even actually get your stuff back or they may still have a tie in your network. And then now yeah. you're a bet. The biggest thing they said is you pay it. Now you're a target for the next organization. Cause remember the movie ransom with Mel Gibson, we know yep. you paid, you paid off the airline, you know, give me back my son. you like that, that whole thing. It made me think of, of the movie ransom. That, the there's a few other things with that too. I mean, if, if you look at it as a whole, yeah. I mean, one is you are creating the demand by paying the ransom, right? So they bank on that. The whole point is you pay the ransom, they get paid. Then they have more reason to keep doing it because they're getting paid. Right. So it's creating this supply and demand effect uh, just by you paying the ransom, you know, and that's why, and then on top of that, secondarily is we've seen in some cases that they're not even unlocking the files or giving you the decryption keys. And then you've paid for nothing. Um, so, you know, the, they look at it from a hostage, hostage situation as, is it worth paying off the ransom or should you just go in shooting and then if you fail, you fail? Right. It, it's, it's interesting because they were talking about just like that in the, in the article, it was saying during a negotiation, an attacker may extend payment deadlines, lower the ransom, decrypt some data as a show of good faith. Uh, and provide assistance in purchasing Bitcoin. So it's sort of like all the hostage movies. All right, I'm going to give you this, but I need you to release two hostages. You know, it's kind of yeah, that kind of thing. Exactly. <laughs> and giving them the deadlines extending. And it's interesting. I mean, this this is not, I mean. You land the helicopter and I'll think about paying you. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is obviously this article is, is, but this is based off of real world examples of the FBI and other organizations getting involved helping these, these municipalities and other, other businesses yeah. know, deal with this. They talked about uh, Atlanta, the gold mine ransomware and uh, Baltimore and some of the issues with that. And then a lot of this is based off of what we've seen with, with public entities and government entities well, getting hit. Florida is a perfect example of that, right? They got, they got hit and they got ransom. They paid the ransom. They decrypted the file and they went and fired the entire security team for paying the ransom, you know? And it's like, uh, you can't win, right? So you, you're better off looking at alternate ways to fight these things, right? Have good backups, have fast recovery mechanisms, use endpoints that help block these ransomware or are able to revert it in the first place. I mean, there's, it's, you know, it's it's kind of one of those layered approach things. You just do the best you can do, but have plans outside of paying them and doing all these things and practice them. It was, it was really funny. And this is the last thing I'll end on because this is at home close to you. I was talking to Cassie, you know, who works for me in marketing. And she's like, I've never been in an organization where um, the technical people were so concerned with the marketing. And I go, well, let me explain this to you, Cassidy. If we get hacked 
<laughs> or put the wrong thing out there. But if we get hacked and our customers get hacked, it makes it really hard for you and Dave to go to your next job and go, yeah, my last company, I was hacked, right? I go, yeah. us in marketing, our company gets hacked. It's not as tough for us to go get another marketing gig or another sales gig. It, it's super critical, for this, like you mentioned, for the security staff. The, the, the ramifications of a breach is it's your career's on the line. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's semi unfortunate because there's a lot of factors that come in play, right? I mean, there's financial factors, there's business factors, there's, Hey, maybe it's something that security called and the business accepted the risk. I mean, I, I've worked in extreme organizations where security said no to everything. I've worked in organizations where the business accepted the risk to everything and then everything in between. Right. And if, if, there's a lot of unknown when a, when a breach happens. And so, you know, we had sales training on, on Tuesday. And one of the big examples that, that we always use is the Norse Hydro breach, you know, in sales, marketing, and in talks and things, because they handled it the right way. They had plans. They went to, you know, manual methods. They followed these processes. And they were very upfront and open with the breach, right? So hiring some of those guys is a good because... You know, I've also been in organizations where we said, hey, let's hire somebody. Let's make sure we hire at least one person who's been through a breach so there's lessons learned, right? And so- Interesting, okay. Which at this organization, obviously, we have different levels of breaches happen with customers all the time. And, you know, we deal with a lot of different incident response. So it's, it's a different story for an MSSP, but as a corporate organization, you know, you, you, you want that knowledge and talent. But like you said, it could hinder, you know, the- ability to get another job if you've been in a a really bad breach situation. Absolutely. Well, cool. I think that's all we got for today, Jeff. You got anything else to add? No, I'm I'm good, man. Thanks for uh, putting this together and, you know, setting up another Zoom meeting. You know it, man. All right. For all of our listeners out there, we appreciate you tuning back in and we'll catch you guys next time. Appreciate it. Bananas. Thank you for listening to the Hashtime Show. Check us out online at hashtimeshow.com. Well, guys, don't get burnt out.